Hey, good morning, folks. I want to welcome you to Liberty Grace Online. Thank you so much for your continued support. I uh, pray that you are doing well this week and uh, want to let you know that we're going to begin a different study starting next week. We're going to be looking at the book of Mark over the next 16 weeks together. We're going to take one chapter a week and study it. I pray that you will join us, that you will look uh, to us for some guidance on Sunday mornings about some of the topics that are found in each chapter, but then that you would spend time studying it individually and with a small group. So we're going to give you some materials to do that. Pay attention. I know that it's been announced already, and there's a, there's a small group page available on our website for that. Today, we're going to wrap up uh, the series, What You Think Matters. And specifically, I wanted to visit something that Jesus prayed the night that he was betrayed. Because I think it's important for us to understand that as we wrap up this series, it was really all about unity. That, that as we look today at what you think matters, unity. That these messages were all about finding a worldview that is grounded in the Bible, that, that our unity should be from what the truth of Scripture is, that the things that we have in common should reflect the things that, that God the Father, Jesus His Son, and the Holy Spirit lead us to together as a group of believers, and that no topic uh, is exempt from the principles of Scripture. We've looked at all kinds of things and can learn and apply what the Bible has to say to our everyday life. So I pray that as we apply it together, that as we continue to study it together, as we look at the book of Mark even together, that we will apply the principles we find in Scripture and make an impact in our world. But nothing will make a bigger impact than the way we unify together around the Word of God and how it impacts our decisions in our everyday world and what it is that we live out from the pages of Scripture. How do I know this? I want you to look at Genesis chapter 11 with me. So in Genesis chapter 11, we find the Tower of Babel. And I just want to read these first nine verses and then help you understand a little bit about the power of unity that even as God sees it. So Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found the plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar instead of mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build a city, a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language, so they will not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth. And they stopped building the city, and that is why it is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. 
The point of this story to me and the point that we are going to draw out today is that unity can be misguided, that, that expressed unity for the wrong purpose is not acceptable or pleasing to God. As we look at this story, we see specifically that they, they had unity around a common goal, that they had a common language, that they expressed to things so clearly together that, that God says that nothing would be impossible for them, but it was to make a name for themselves. And that's the problem, that when unity is misguided, when it's around a focus and a principle that is not for the glory of our Creator, it doesn't lessen its effectiveness, but it, but it, it allows us to, to drift off away from our God into pride and into arrogance and, and into to making a name for our own selves. And so that's when God intervenes. He took steps specifically at Babel to confuse their language, to put an end to the building that they were doing, that, that he saw specifically that nothing they planned to do would be impossible for them, that this misguided unity was going to bring about a tower that reached the heavens that, that would be uh, to mark their territory, to make it about man's accomplishments. And, you know, it's difficult to, to not equate that to what we do even today in our world, that we rally around causes. We search for things that we can get behind, right? And, and we do these things to unify us. So we find a collective thought and something that matters to us, and we join a cause. And a lot of those things can be good. But I pray that they are not just misguided attempts at unity, that the reason why we join a cause is actually undergirded by the unity we have in Christ. It's something that is very important to God that we have unity, but that unity's purpose is to glorify God. What we were created to do is by our unity represent the very thing that God exemplifies to us. Even in this story, God refers to himself in the plural. He said, let us go down and confuse their language. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In this moment in Genesis, he is weaving in some of the things that we've talked about throughout this series in the culmination of what he's doing in battle. He says, let us go down. And so, when we talk about unity, what we're really doing is exemplifying God to the fullest. We are bringing glory to what his nature truly is. When we join together as one, it honors God. It pleases God. It makes him happy. Unity is especially important in times like this. And you see the slogan thrown around in a lot of ways, whether it be in church or in the secular world, that we're all in this together, right? That there's a value there in unity that we've got to, we've got to bind ourselves together somehow. And so I would encourage you that as we read these words from Jesus, that you understand and you examine what it is that undergirds unity inside of the church.
what it is as Christians that we are supposed to be about. So if you'll follow along in the in the U version, we're looking at John chapter 17. It's right there on the screen for you. And the reason that I chose this passage is to exemplify how important it is to God that we seek unity. This is Jesus praying about that very thing. You know, he prays for himself, he prays for the disciples, and then he prays for us in John chapter 17, the night that he is about to be betrayed and fulfill his part of what God's plan is. So John chapter 17, verse 20 to 23. My prayer is not for them alone, not for the disciples alone, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. First of all, what you need to understand is that Jesus says, I have not just prayed for them alone, the disciples, and, and we kind of covered that a little bit, but, but in this phrase that I pray for those who believe in me through their message, he's talking about us. He's praying that we become one as God is one, that we represent well what he is to the world through unity. He's praying specifically for us because we have become believers based on the message of the disciples. As we read the Gospels and we understand who Jesus is, we are becoming believers based upon their message. So Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was praying for us that we would be one as the Trinity is one. It's a reminder of the unity of God that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all one. He says, I want them to know what it's like to be unified as you, Father, are in me, and as the Spirit is in them. I want all of us to be unified together. He uses this phrase that they may be brought to complete unity a complete unity bound by God's love for us. To, to put it simply, it's something that we've covered before, right? As we look at what it is that God holds most dear, Jesus said the two greatest commandments are to love God and love others. Those should be the things that bring us the most unity. We have to understand that unity isn't necessarily that we all think the same. It doesn't mean that we have 100% agreement about how we do things in our everyday life, how we articulate even the Word of God sometimes. There are some things here left open for us to interpret and to figure out how it applies to us specifically. 
But what it does mean is that we have complete unity in the fact that we love God and we love others. That we get the chance to exemplify what unity looks like because we can overcome the differences of opinion to come to the things that are not opinion and rely on them. We can unify around a cause, the the why of what we do. What you think about unity matters. Can you only have unity in a group of people that has 100% agreement? Is that what unity really means? Or is unity found in the coming together of a collective uh, way of living, unified around a central idea? 100% agreement is never going to be found inside of the human race. It's not about erasing all of our differences. It's about rallying around something that is more important than our differences. It's about unifying around something that makes that thing greater than our collective differences. You know, right now, the church is being divided by how to even answer the call to reopen. You know, we struggle. We have lots of different opinions. And and the reality is that meeting at the church was never what should unify us. Meeting at the building isn't where our unity is. Our unity is found in our love for Jesus and our love for others. That's what's to unify us. Whether we're in our homes, whether we're at school, whether we're at work, the thing that people should know about us is that we love Jesus. You're never going to be in 100% agreement, and, and such a group would actually be rather useless, wouldn't it? Have you ever been in a group that, that got anything done because they thought exactly the same way? Of course not, because really good teams are built out of diversity and are unified around a common goal, and they find the best solutions because they use all of the parts. It's kind of like what Paul says in Corinthians about our bodies. That as we represent the church, the body of Christ, that each one of us has a specific thing that we are to do. And when they are used in concert together, they accomplish what it looks like to be the body of Christ. And he is our head. He is the leader of what it is that we're doing. And as we follow him with all of our gifts and talents, we assemble to make the body and and there is no part left out and, and we become better together than we would apart. It's a 100% focus on God's glory. It's not a 100% focus on agreement, but it's a 100% focus to draw back and say, the reason that I cooperate here, the reason that there is unity inside of the church has nothing to do with with my specific talent or his specific talent or her specific gift. It has to do with Jesus Christ and him crucified. Right now, allowing ourselves to be brought into a discussion about whether to wear a face mask or not should not be the determining factor of whether I am unified with my body. 
that shouldn't be something that, that is part of our discussions. We should be allowed to be a little different in some of those things because we can look past it to see the important thing is that they love Jesus, I love Jesus, and we want to tell other people about Jesus. When we arrive at complete unity, as I read Genesis, now go back there and then apply this here, that we're brought to complete unity. Genesis, God says again, right, that nothing would be impossible for them as they had a common language and a common goal and they all were surrounding it. I have to believe that the church would be an unstoppable force if we would reach some unity. That as we unpack all of these theological positions and, and work on all of these things together, develop a worldview, that, that if we keep as our focus unifying around Christ, we will have an impact in our world. You know, I have uh, a couple of trees in my backyard. I know I talk about trees and nature a lot, but, but it's so clear to me how God has designed things. The unity of, of our natural world should be an example to us. And these trees, apparently when they were small, there were larger trees around them. And for them to continue to grow, they literally grew at an angle to get out from under the shade of the other larger trees, they grew in a way that was directional to where the sun comes up. If you come to my backyard, I'll show you the trees, and you can see specifically where, without knowing anything about the surrounding area, you know where the sun comes up and where it spends most of the time during the day. Because these trees bent their will, their entire life, their desire in search of the sun. And now as they are full grown, they have this huge sweeping bend in them because you can see that they were directed by the sun, by their pursuit of what their purpose was. Individually, we're going to have to do that sometimes to achieve unity. We're going to have to lay aside some of our personal preferences, some of the things that, that we want to see done for the greater good of unity in the body of Christ. We will never be as effective apart as we can be together. When we recognize the value of everyone's individual efforts and put that into concert for the purpose of glorifying God, then we will see what can be done when we have unity, complete unity. Jesus doesn't stop praying for us for unity there. He gives us something in these last few verses that he desires for us, a way that we might embrace unity around what it is that he wants for us. He prays to his Father, and, and these last couple of verses are incredibly important as you think about what it is that God is doing in your heart and your mind. John 17, 24, Jesus says, Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory 
the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus focused on his glory. That he wanted as many of the people in this world to be with him in his glory. That glory that he set aside to come here to be a man and to die as a payment for our sin has been restored to him. That glory has been restored to him and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he wants us to be with him. That's his desire. He wants for everyone that has been called by God to have the opportunity to be with him in glory. That should be what's important to us. That as many people as God has set aside, that they would see the glory of Jesus and be with him and see how God loved them and Jesus before the creation of the world. Our greatest strength, church, <laughs> lies in our ability to set aside the familial, the political, the social differences to set aside those things and to find unity in Christ. What will show the world that God loves them is how you love one another. If you allow for division to creep in to your everyday life, if you allow yourself to speak poorly of other believers in Jesus, then it's going to be difficult for people to believe that God loves them. That's how I read the scripture. That as we want the world to know that you have sent me, is what Jesus says. He wants the world to know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. He wants the world to know that he loves them just like he has loved Jesus. And for us to do anything different than what Jesus did is not showing the love of God to our world. Our greatest strength lies in our ability to lay aside the familial, political, and social differences for the benefit of of our world to see unity through us, to see what it means to not have to do it our way, to be able to put that stuff down and to focus on purely and clearly and cleanly <laughs> that what is important to us is that they get to know who Jesus is. It's not easy in the everyday. Things come up, circumstances change. Inside of this pandemic, we have struggled to wonder what's too far, what's not far enough. There are lots of things to concern ourselves with, and I pray that you have the ability, that you have sought out wisdom from God, as we talked about last week, and he redirects our paths, that you are seeking him out, and that you are most of all seeking unity with other believers 
so that the world can look to us and say, man, they have something different. They really love each other. Their unity is inspiring. They could accomplish anything if they put their mind to it, it looks like. Jesus prays something, and I want to end with some of these words. His prayer is a commitment to unity uh, inside of the Trinity as he prays these words in John chapter 17, verses 25 to 26. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The unity of the church hangs on our ability to to accept love from God as Jesus wants to be in us and then show the world how wide and how deep and how strong his love is for them by the way in which we love each other. It's important that we read these words in John 17 and apply them to our lives. That as we've studied this biblical worldview and we've looked at different topics, that you go back and maybe listen to some of the messages. Think about what areas we need to come more together on. Maybe you just need to forget about all that and say, Lord, I want to be from here on in, I want to be unified with what you are doing in our world. That I want to be about people seeing your glory. And I want to love people the way you love them. That's what I think Jesus was praying about here. That we get a chance to be his instruments, right? His ambassador. That we get to love people the way that he loves us. And the way that his father loved him. Church, I pray that we figure this thing out. That as we join together in following Jesus, we would be an unstoppable force for his glory. Father, I thank you for what we get to do for the opportunities that we have, for the way in which you use each and every one of us for your glory. I pray that we would apply the gifts, the talents, the abilities you've given to us, that we would work together to achieve the unity that that you as Father, Son, and Spirit have exemplified to us in our lives. Lord, thank you for the clarity that this passage brings. Thank you for your son and for what he's done. And I pray that that the why of what we do shines through, that we love people. How we do it doesn't matter, but what and why, why do we do what we do? That we love people because you loved us. 
And I pray that our unity brings others to your glory. In Jesus' name.